attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, hour number two is underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock on a Tuesday, the 10th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2020. One week since the presidential election. And as far as millions upon millions of Americans are concerned, the election is still not yet decided. Let me set the table now for our guest, Peter Kersenow. This is the president's press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, yesterday. There were 682,479 ballots counted in Philadelphia, in Allegheny County, that there were no poll watchers allowed to watch. It's the job of the media to ask the question, why? Because all we are asking for is truth, transparency, and sunlight here. That is all we are asking for. And sadly, we are asking the questions many of you should. Here is presidential advisor Jason Miller. Uh, I do believe that especially since Georgia allowed ballot harvesting this go around, and we already have examples of dead folks voting. Here's uh, RNC chair Ronna McDaniel. 131 affidavits have been completed just in Michigan with over 2,800 incident reports that have been submitted to us since Election Day. Two new lawsuits were filed today by people who were working who were working in Detroit and a whistleblower who has gotten their information. We have gotten their information to the Eastern District Court of Michigan. And here is CNN's Brian Stelter responding to all of it. Two parallel Americas. It cannot be more stark. And if you're not seeing what's going on in right-wing media, you're missing half the story. I mean, people's Facebook feeds, tens of millions of Americans on Facebook and Twitter are seeing this nonsense uh, all across television and social media. And there's no one in charge. No one in charge except President Trump setting the tone and then others falling in line. There's and here is the views, matriarch, Whoopi gold. Americans actually got out and voted. Let me say this to you. When you know who was elected four years ago, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Stop the count. She didn't say, this isn't right. I'm not going for it. She didn't say any of that. So all of you, suck it up. Suck it up like we sucked it up. That's the table being set for Peter Kersenow, who joins us now, Cleveland attorney, <clears throat> host of the Kersenow Report on uh, AM fourteen twenty, The Answer, and member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, good morning. Good morning, Bob. That's heck of a table. I'm not even sure where to respond. It took me about four or five hours. Uh, Start you know, with the last me. one, Pete. Start with the last one. Did she really say Hillary Clinton didn't do any right. of that? I mean, it's yeah, it's right. four years later, and Hillary Clinton still says she won the election, and only Russian interference uh, and Russian collusion is is what stopped her. I mean, I I cannot believe those things. Four years of an investigation, a media rapidly hyping every little thing they could possibly find. They found nothing, but they didn't prevent them from hyping it anyway. We had impeachment, Russia Gate. We had a whole host of issues that the media would raise, all of which were founded on falsehoods or for which there was absolutely no evidence. And you're right. Hillary is still wandering around in the forest with her bottle of Chardonnay, claiming she's the uh, rightful president, but she's not alone in that. You know, the Democrats have got a very short memory because the Democrats and media, again, whenever I say that, I say I repeat myself because they're one and the same. Media bias has morphed imperceptibly into complete and utter corruption. And yet they're continuing to say, well, you know, you got to put on your big boy pants, conservatives and, and Trump. you got to get out of here because we've accomplished our objective. We've dragged this emaciated corpse of Joe Biden across the finish line. So obey our edict. <laughs> 
And unfortunately for them, we've got over 70 million people who are not obeying the edict. And what's different, Bob, and you probably have a better pulse on this, um, uh, finger on the pulse of this than I do, but I can tell you that I do have a lot of contacts and people who get in touch with me. Um, there's a little bit different cast now, maybe not a little bit different, a lot. Conservatives and Republicans are angry. Um, they are not going away quietly, and for good reason. They've been, again, subjected to four years' worth of lies. They've been called all manner of names, and most importantly, they're seeing their republic taken away from them. We're in a very, very uh, dangerous time right now, and the totalitarian instincts of the Democrats and the media are exposing themselves, and they have absolutely no self-awareness regarding it. Over the last week, I know you and I have texted each other back and forth, and we even talked about it before, but um, in the last week, we have seen some very troubling totalitarian impulses from all manner of individuals on the left and institutions on the left. It should trouble all of us. And remember this, uh, aside from the irregularities, and I'm putting that mildly, the allegations yeah. of fraud, all of the, the, the anomalies that we've seen, and they are multiple. They are, it, it, there's no denying them. Simply because the press doesn't report them doesn't mean they don't exist. We've seen this movie for four years where the press doesn't report things. They managed to suppress the greatest political corruption scandal in history with Joe Biden and Hunter's laptop and the funneling of money from Red China. That by itself is extraordinary. And they also hyped the greatest non-scandal in history, and that is Russia collusion, for which there was no evidence. A, a, a group of people, a movement, an ideology that would do those things is a movement that should be very, very concerning for the rest of America. They are in the, in the process of trying to strip Americans of their franchise. They're trying to impose their will on America. And as a number of pundits, most notably Tucker, of course, has been on this issue of the overwhelming, it used to be media bias. It's no longer media bias. It's, as I said, corruption. They're, they're, they're completely indistinguishable from the Democratic Party slash left. And the amount of benefit that the Democratic Party gets from that is extraordinary. About 10, 11 years ago, when media bias was, st was profound, but it was still just media bias, and we didn't have the heavy hand of tech on the levels of communication, actually censoring the president of the United States, we didn't have all those things. But even back then, a study, and I don't have it in front of me right now, I'd made reference to it uh, a short time ago, but a couple of professors uh, did an analysis. And it got a little bit of play. I think it was even uh, reported in what used to be news organizations, such as the Washington Post and New York Times. But they said that media bias, even back then, was significant enough that the candidate who the media favored benefited, on average, five points, a net of five points, because of that coverage. And think about that. Most elections are decided by fewer than five points. Mm -hmm. So to add five points is pretty significant. I haven't seen any update of that study, but we've all seen what the media has been like over the last four years. Again, suppressing an entire story on the eve of an election, which was one of the most astonishing stories imaginable, simply because they don't report it doesn't mean it didn't happen, doesn't mean it's not mm -hmm. extraordinary. Yet they've suppressed but it does, though, they, to, to an extent, Pete, if I may. Uh, two things in response before you continue. Um, when you say the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, I, I have to 
highlight this. People need to hear this. MSNBC political analyst and contributor John Meacham, who carries the title of presidential historian in addition to MSNBC analyst and contributor, literally was on the air during the campaign analyzing speeches given by Joe Biden, among other things. Speeches that he wrote. Literally, MSNBC contributor John Meacham was employed and still is, presumably, as a speechwriter for Joe Biden. So he's literally writing speeches for Biden, counseling Biden, advising Biden, editing Biden's own remarks. This is how it'll sound better than going on MSNBC and supposedly organically reacting to a brilliant speech by, by Joe Biden here. What a great point on this and that and the other. They literally, Peter, it's not just figurative anymore when you say, but I repeat myself because they're one and the same. They are. I wanted to get that out there. And then the second part about what you're saying when you say it doesn't mean it didn't happen. <clears throat> If the media doesn't cover it, in a way it does. I talked to Jim Jordan about this uh, about an hour ago, a little less than an hour ago. You know, social media would not allow any of the truth about the Biden laptop, about the pictures, about the documents, about the emails, about the text messages, the hard drive, the, the eyewitness accounts of Tony Bobolinsky. They would not allow those things to be published. Accounts were, were closed, suspended, banned. Uh, other things had the fake news uh, uh, little label put across them. Same thing happened on Facebook. And then, of course, so that's social media, right? And then the regular mainstream media wouldn't cover it, just said, ah, it's Russian disinformation and dismissed it. The same thing is happening here. When it comes to these allegations of voter fraud and about people from the 19th century casting votes, dead people casting votes, post office workers reporting, whistleblowers saying, I heard my supervisors telling employees to backdate these, uh, these mail-in ballots. Again, it's being, it's being censored by the social media crowd or overlords anyway, and it's being not covered by the mainstream or traditional media. So in a way, Peter Kersenow, if we can't let 330 million people know all of this is going on, then for all intents and purposes, it's not going on. It doesn't exist. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that. And um, <clears throat> what we have, I, I've said quite often that I had more respect for the people working at Pravda because they had to lie at the point of a gun. Uh, these individuals are consciously corrupting our institutions. They are lying to us on a regular basis. I try to be, as you know, Bob, over the last several years that we've been doing this, I try to be circumspect, responsible, try to pull back a little bit if I can, uh, not make unfounded claims. But uh, there's no way in the world that you can deny that what's going on here is something that is profoundly totalitarian. That seems very similar to, and again, many of us have had relatives who escaped from totalitarian regimes and will always tell you, do not go down this path. We've seen this movie before. You can't claw this back just very casually. Elections will not matter at some point. That's where we are right now. And for, for, with respect to how the media is, is in bed with the Democrats and the left, it goes, you know, and, and you and I can both come up with a million examples, but they are literally in bed. When you look at, there are several sites that show you the crosstabs of reporters who are married to high Democratic officials, Democratic uh, politicians, and if you think that doesn't, of course, bias their commentary on it, it's, it's just extraordinary, just all across the, the, uh, the dial. And 
it's not uncommon. In fact, it happens with incredible frequency that after an election, the functionaries of the Democratic Party who operated that particular election on behalf of a candidate or, or an issue will then seamlessly go over to an MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, Washington Post and start reporting about those things. Again, going back to what I said before, years ago, it was a five-point advantage. Now, who knows? When you don't even know what you're voting on because the media suppresses it in furtherance of an agenda, that clearly is an in-kind contribution. We, this is a dangerous period of time. I've said that a million times over, a number of other people have, but it must be emphasized over and over and over again. And we should not accept these results the way they are. This is fraud in the extreme. Yeah, it's an attack on American democracy. And yet, the Washington Post, perhaps speaking for all of the uh, uh, traditional mainstream media, said Mr. Biden's victory and Mr. Trump's defeat is a testament to the resilience of American democracy. No, when dead people are voting, when Republicans are not being allowed to be in the room, when votes are being counted, when uh, ballot harvesting is allowed, when overnight ballot dumps, every one of them for Biden are allowed. No, American democracy has been destroyed, not saved. Peter Kristinov continues with us right after this. All right, 1025 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with Peter Kersenau, breaking down all things electoral for us. Pete, I want to pivot to Georgia now, and I want to tap into your legal knowledge here, your legal expertise. Um, Andrew Yang, you know who he is, former presidential mm-hmm. candidate, Democrat, entrepreneur, and more, um, announced on Twitter two days ago that he and his wife are moving to Georgia where they will attempt to take up residency and register to vote in the January runoff that will decide control of the Senate. And you know as well as I do, that is our last chance at a fail-safe to stop every radical Green New Deal, Medicare for All, court-packing, state-creating, legislative filibuster-crushing maneuver that the Dems want to do. And he, Andrew Yang, is encouraging Democrats from all over the country to do the same. Do you know from a legal standpoint, Peter, whether or not that is allowed? If someone voting in a runoff election had to have been registered for the original general election uh, in order to do that, or can they send tens or hundreds of thousands of people to Georgia, create a fake address, or who knows, get you know host families to agree to say, yeah, you're moving in with us and be able to give their address in order to essentially steal the Senate seats as well as what they did from the president. Right. The matters of electoral uh, issues such such as that are generally, almost all of them are controlled by the state. And without knowing what uh, Georgia uh, does, I couldn't answer that. Although I would say that if they are residents within a certain period of time, then normally somebody can vote, regardless if they if they voted in a, uh, the original election or not. So there's not much time, though, between now and uh, January 5th, obviously. We're only talking a couple of months, so I don't know that they would be qualified. Um, I don't know that that effort is viable. And Andrew Yang, who has money, might be able to do so. But how many people can just pick up on a whim and move and establish residency 
uh, again, insufficient time. They can't just simply get there a day or two before the election. Usually there has to be residency in a location for uh, an adequate period of time. So I doubt that that's a, a viable strategy. What I'm more concerned with, of course, is continuing corruption and, and ballot harvesting and, and all kinds of other irregularities that we've seen all across the country. In addition to that, I think we'll be able to match them, but let's face it, the Democrats have way, way more money than Republicans do. They're going to flood the zone with tons and tons of money to try to affect the outcome of the election. Having said that, again, without making any predictions, um, the Republicans probably have the advantage at this particular point, but this is a firewall. You're absolutely correct. If Republicans don't hold these two seats then all of the fever dreams of AOC may come to pass. Now, reality sometimes intrudes, but these days I'm not sure that reality is much of a deterrent to Democrats in the media. They're going to try to do all the things that you said, and if that happens, we will have trans transformed this country fundamentally, and we won't recognize it, uh, because once you start going down this path, it is virtually impossible to turn the ship around. So... Rather than move there, the best thing for the rest of us to do who are concerned about the republic is to make sure that if you've got a couple of pennies to send to Leffler, to, you know, to, to the GOP down there, do it. I know that the GOP is flooding the zone I, in terms of sending personnel down there. I've talked to a few individuals. But this is important. Um, you know, we always talk about the importance of elections. Every election cycle we say, you know, this is the most important election. But we've never been at a stage where it's absolutely critical because we may lose the republic. Look at what the Democrats and the media are saying. Um, just in response to this particular election, what should be done once the election is certified that is, they want to set up you know, truth and reconciliation commissions. More than one person has talked about that. And we're talking about a former labor secretary, for example. We're not talking about some guy you know, on a blog site or some guy you know, in his, his parents' basement. We're talking about some of the highest reaches of the Democratic Party and their media allies talking about accountability. Well, you know, Jennifer Rubin, you've got, you've got so many of these individuals who are out there in public talking about some form of retribution against those people who happen to support the rule of law, Donald Trump, the Constitution, America is originally founded, all of those things. That's totalitarian. That's what we saw in the Cultural Revolution in China. We saw it in the Soviet Union with the Moscow show trials. Cambodia, on and on and on and on. But we are saying it here under the protection of the First Amendment, obviously, but we're saying it in the United States of America. The long march through the institutions has almost been complete. Peter Kersenow breaking it down for us from the Georgia perspective. Pete, you mentioned fundamental transformation of America, which was Barack Obama's signature line. It has been updated by Chuck Schumer. I'm going to let you hear that and get your response to that and what danger that poses for the people of the United States of America as we continue. One more segment with Kirsten now on AM 1420 The Answer. social justice warriors if you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended this isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer 
All righty, 1036 now, AM 1420, The Answer. We continue 24 minutes of Outstanding Awesome left in this broadcast. Speaking of Outstanding and Awesome, we continue with Peter Kirsch now. All right, Pete, you uh, mentioned in the last segment Barack Obama's uh, famous line about fundamental transformation of America. It's the kind of thing where you say, wait a minute, why would you want to fundamentally transform a place that you love, a place that you believe in, a place that you support uh, why would you want to fundamentally, you wouldn't say that about your girlfriend. I want to, I want to marry you. And then I want to fundamentally change you because I don't like you the way you are. Well, here's the update to Barack Obama. Chuck Schumer is the Senate minority leader. If the Georgia runoffs do not go our way, he will be the Senate majority leader and he will eliminate the firewall that we talked about to stop every radical socialist leftist dream come from coming true. And this is how he celebrated that possibility over the weekend. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. One more time. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. Peter, 71 million Americans voted for Donald Trump because they like America. They like the fact that America is, without question, the greatest force for good in the history of humanity. We continue to be the world leaders economically, militarily, charitably, philanthropically, every manner that there is. We continue to be the beacon of hope for millions and millions and millions of people around the world who try to come here because they can achieve something called the American dream. Minorities have been lifted up under the Trump administration for four years like they haven't since they were granted civil rights in 1964. And... Chuck Schumer says we want to change all of that. What in the world does he want to change America into, Peter Kersenow? A uh, socialist paradise, but one that they control. This is about power. They want hegemony. The left wants hegemony so they can impose their view of the world on the rest of us. One thing about leftists, and, you know, I'm not talking about everybody. I'm not talking about all Democrats, for example. I'm not talking about rank and file. But there is a significantly large cohort of these individuals. And we're talking in the millions, and we're talking the structural strata. Uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party and of the left generally, the cultural left, who despise the United States of America. Now, Ten years ago, if you were to say something like that, people would rise up in anger and recoil and say, how dare you, and all those other things. But the evidence is plain, and I will say it. I've seen it. Uh, you've heard my refrain that I've said, you know, I've been on the Civil Rights Commission maybe way too long, but I've sentenced, been sentenced to it for almost 20 years now. <laughs> and I've always said that uh, if you want to know what the left has in store for America, come in five years to ten years, come to a Civil Rights Commission meeting today, because they try out all of their pet theories at the Civil Rights Commission first. And sometimes, you know, you know, if I didn't shave my, my head, my hair would stand on, on end. It's, okay. it's truly an amazing thing to see, and I'm going to see more of it on Friday, for example. But nonetheless, listen closely to what they have to say and believe them. The AOCs of the world, they may not have functional control of the Democratic Party right now, but they have ideological control of the Democratic Party. And that is a frightening prospect because they will impose the socialist agenda. They already talked about it. They're talking about it openly. In the past, they used to try to shield it or, or obscure it, but not anymore because, to a large extent, Bob, they've completed or in the process of completing what's known as the long march through the institutions. Our entire educational establishment is seems to be completely in the thrall of the left. I can't tell you how many days per week I spend... Uh, a couple of hours on civil rights-related matters 
just sending warnings and letters to various institutions that they're violating various laws, civil rights laws. And they're doing it, and they don't care, with impunity. We've got a number of institutions, colleges, for example, that segregate students on the basis of race so that they can then instruct those students that white students are racist, they're inherently racist, and they are forced to confess the same, just as, you know, the, the confessions of the show trials in the Soviet Union and as the Cultural Revolution, as I mentioned. I mean, it's extraordinary that what's happening. I think many of your listeners are aware of it because they are attuned to these kinds of things, but most Americans still haven't caught up to the fact that this is actually occurring. It's not merely a theory. It's not merely a projection. It's not really something that they intend to do. They're doing it right now. It's happening in workplaces, where especially in larger corporations, but it's been trickling down now. In larger corporations, they've got these trainings from the Robin D'Angelo's of the world and others that are fundamentally, Bob, anti-American. They are teaching not just um, American children this, but they are enforcing it. They are ramming it down the throats of ordinary Americans. And if you depart from that uh, narrative, the, the left's narrative, there are consequences. You, you can get fired. You can get docked. You can, all kinds of things happen. I hear from these people on a regular basis. We see it at the Civil Rights Commission. I've not seen it like this uh, before. This is something... In the last four or five years, especially because of this huge, overwhelming resistance to Donald Trump by the left, that has brought them, it's smoked them out. It's uh, brought them out of, the, out of the closet, so to speak, and they are completely open about what they're, or not completely open, but a lot more open than they used to be about their agenda. And one of the reasons they are is because they now control the highest uh, levels of our major institutions. They control the media. They control big tech. They, they control most large corporations. So they don't care. They're, they're, they're fearless, and they will impose this on the rest of us. The fact that it, I, I'm still boggled, and I know your listeners are, by the fact that these uh, private corporations, a Google, a Facebook, a Twitter, actually censor the president of the United States of America, the leader of the free world, the duly elected president of the American people. They're not simply censoring him, they're censoring the American people. But they're censoring all manner of individuals. And disapproved comments, you've got these, you know, 22-year-old fact-checkers who didn't learn anything in college, but they're checking facts. They've got no perspective, no knowledge, and they're out here determining what is partially false, partially correct. They have not the slightest clue, and they don't care that they don't have the slightest clue, because their objective is an ideological one, not a factual one. Again, I hate to say it, but we are in a soft revolution right now. We may not realize that the left has known it for quite some time. They've been fomenting this revolution, and if we don't get you know our act together very fast, uh, the, the good news is I think Trump has shown the way. The advent of Trump has has made or stiffened the f spines of a lot of Republicans. The only question is, with if if there is no President Trump, uh, you know, four years from now or whenever it may be, do we have someone who can do what Donald Trump has done? I know of no other individual who can do it quite the way he does it. None whatsoever. Maybe not throughout history. But there has to be someone and some ones who step up and are able to do this. And I'm hopeful that the rank-and-file conservatives out here will say no more. We're not taking this stuff anymore. You're not shoving it down our throats. You're not continuing to call us deplorables and racist and all manner of things when we made this country work. You guys, meaning the, the elites, 
sent us off to wars, took away our jobs, did all these different things to further your own agenda, and then you have the temerity to turn around and sneer at us. Uh, I think many people have gotten that message now because the left has been so out in the open about it. Peter, let me uh, change the subject for a moment. Uh, Staying on the election to a degree, but I want to talk about the pandemic. And not about the Pfizer news, about the 90% uh, trial and uh, success in the trials for the vaccine that could come, by the way, as early as President Trump said it would in those debates, by the end of this year. They mocked him and yeah, laughed at him and said not until late 21. Yeah, the media's going to give Biden credit. The media will give Biden credit. Of course they are. Now, watch, yeah. And, and we're wise yeah, to Pfizer, it. Pfizer waits until just a, a day or two after Joe Biden is declared president-elect by the media and says, by the way, here's this vaccine coming. Uh, and then, of course, Andrew Cuomo, by the way, who killed 30,000 people in nursing homes by stuffing COVID patients into the nursing homes so they wouldn't overcrowd the hospitals, is now saying that we can't trust the Trump administration to administer this vaccine. We, you know, Pfizer, hold on to it for two months so the Biden administration can do it, because then we'll know it'll be done right. This is, this, this is not where I wanted to go with this, but, Peter, I'm going to ask you about this. <clears throat> One of the first moves that Joe Biden made was to declare... Um, Ezekiel Emanuel, Zeke Emanuel, the architect, the author, if you will, of Obamacare. Zeke Emanuel, um, he's the leader of his, or at least one of the leaders of his coronavirus transition task force, whatever that means, okay? During the quote-unquote transition of power, coronavirus is going to be overseen by Ezekiel Emanuel. Now, you know as well as I do that the most vulnerable people to this disease, to this virus, are over the age of 75, usually with comorbidities. Those are the nursing home people that that Andrew Cuomo killed. So uh, President-elect Biden, if you use that vernacular, has put a man in charge of the coronavirus who says it is our duty to die at the age of 75 to not use up medical resources when their lives are basically useless over 75. Listen to a little bit of what uh, Zeke Emanuel says. Well, first of all, let's clarify. Uh, I expect to be alive at 75, and I'm not going to kill myself. I don't believe in legalizing euthanasia or assisted suicide. Uh, But I am going to stop medical treatment. And I look at 75 uh, when I look at all the data on physical disability, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, loss of creativity, slowing down of the mind and the body. And 75 seems like that, you know, albeit somewhat arbitrary moment uh, where you get the maximum chance you're still going to be vital and alive and vigorous. He had a lot more to say than, uh, than that, Peter Kershaw, but I'm going to cut him there just because you get the gist. He is essentially saying that medical resources, medical treatment should be saved for the young and the vibrant. If you're 75, you're practically dead anyway. Just get it over with for the greater good. This, and by the way, the man who hired him is 78 years old, Joe Biden. He just described Joe Biden. Everything he just said uh, applies to Joe Biden. Uh, Zeke Emanuel, we may remember from 12 years ago, one of the architects of Obamacare, and he went on this rag for quite some time back then, where he said basically that there are certain lives that, you know, their quality of life is diminished, so we may as well just let them go. Remember, he's the architect of the death panels, the so-called death panels. Um, he's not alone in this. Uh, there are There's a giant movement related to to this that says that, well, you know, we shouldn't be extending 
quote-unquote scarce resources to keeping alive individuals who only had well, a couple more years left to live and their quality of life is diminished based on the standards that we've determined. Uh, it is completely antithetical to Americans' embrace of the culture of life, of most religious individuals' embrace of the culture of life, and it's ghoulish. Uh, this kind of cold, calculating approach to health care should frighten everybody. But this is we're going to get more of the same. They're going to try to resurrect elements of um, uh, Obamacare that they didn't get passed the last time. They're going to do a lot of this kind of stuff. But I think... Do you remember, if I may, do you you remember in his first campaign, Obama's first campaign against uh, McCain and Palin, how they mocked Sarah Palin for saying that Obamacare would create death panels? Literally, Zeke Emanuel is describing death panels. At 75, you die, where at least if you're going to live, it's going to be on your own, naturally, because we're not giving you medical treatment. You should not request it. That's what they mocked Palin for. Right, exactly. And, you know, listen to what they have to say, because they're very transparent about it. If they get caught, they'll, of course, deny everything. But my goodness, uh, we've seen this, this too many times before, and we are now at a point where we can no longer afford to um, just presume goodwill on their part. We can't. They've been very blatant about what they're up to, and it's a totalitarian perspective. I'm, I'm, Bob, I've been around this this world for a long, long time, and I'm astonished that I'm even saying things like that. Embarrassed. I, in, the, in the past, I would have been embarrassed to say things because it sounds like I should have a tinfoil hat on. Now we better all have hard hats on because the deluge that's coming is not going to be a light rain. It's going to be, you know, like lava, molten lava. These individuals are serious about this, and they now know that the breaks, the mechanisms that would have kept them in check in the past, such as responsible members of the media, even back then it was a dwindling cohort, but the various institutions have been hopelessly corrupted now. And if they get away with, look, one of the things we do know at, at, after the conclusion of all the machinations related to this election is no one will know whether or not we have a legitimate president. We never will know because it's been so hopelessly compromised. And that's maybe one of the worst things. But given everything that's occurring, the, the, the uh, lack of confidence in the institutions, which is, again, is one of the strategies of the left and what they try to do in order to overturn the functioning institutions and adopt a leftist profile, all those kinds of things are pointing in a, in a direction that's, that's not good and require that we all, all of our champions, come forward now with respect to the irregularities in the election, the irregularities in, in, and when I say the election, I'm not just meaning the count. I'm talking about everything that preceded it. Think of all the things that we just kind of said, well, all right, such as the debates, the manner in which the debates were constructed and then destructed, uh, the, the various uh, uh, breaks put on President Trump that weren't placed on Democrats and Biden. It's just extraordinary what has happened here. And if we don't take control, rise up and say, no, we're not doing this anymore. It's important as a process value to stand firm right now. And even if it's shown, because it's going to be very difficult to show uh, the number of ballots that are fraudulent to overturn an election. Look, the process of doing that is integral, integral to preserving the integrity of the election and belief in the, the faith of the people and belief in the people in the integrity of the system. Peter Kersenow, uh, laying it out for us as only Peter Kersenow can. You, you, Pete and I just talked for 50 minutes, uh, 45 maybe, take out the commercials, and uh, we still got about one-tenth of what I really wanted to talk about with him today. Pete, we'll talk to you again very soon, my friend. Thank you so much for everything you did. Thanks, Bob.
Take care. It. It's Peter, Peter Kersenow. It's 1050. We'll get that final time out now. Squeezing a call or two before we're done on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1055, our final segment on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to go to Todd in Cleveland. Uh, try to get a couple of calls in here before we're done, and uh, Mike Gallagher takes over. Hey, Todd, go ahead. Yo, Bob, I am a Georgia voter. If Yang is registered by December 7th, he can vote as early as December 14th for the January 5th election. Early voting starts on December 14th. All he needs is to establish a lease and or a mortgage and surrender whatever his state license is, and he can get a voter ID because Georgia has voter IDs, and and or produce some public util- I mean utilities. So he could get in for the election on the 5th. So those are the facts. So you can vote in one state in in a, in a, in your state's senatorial election and in the presidential election on November third. Move to a new state and vote in somebody else's on December seventh. Are you kidding me? How in the living hell can that be considered democracy? How is that not considered? Ballot fraud. You can't vote in two different state elections when you are only a resident of one state. How can they? I'm sorry, Todd. I know you don't have the answer to these questions. No, I do. I'm just, I'm just mad. Moves. I'm just mad because of what you're saying here. I, that that's just that makes zero sense. And if you were not registered in Georgia to vote for the uh, vote in the actual general elections in those Senate races, if you are not registered in that state for the general election, how can you suddenly become a participant in the runoff election that is a result of the general election? This is just just obscene is what it is. Go ahead. People move, man. People move from place to place. People move. You can move all you want, but you don't get to vote twice. You don't get to vote for two separate sets of senators. You don't get to vote for a Senate candidate in, in Kansas or in California and then go vote in somebody else's Senate race you do uh, by establishing a rights. fake residency. It is impossible. You do believe in states' rights, don't you? Because the states make I do not believe in fraud. This is, uh, this, is, this is, and you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'll be 100% honest with you. I said this before. I do not believe in quote-unquote separate states' rights when they are talking about voting for federal elected positions. If you are voting for the President of the United States, it should be and must be under uniform rules if you're in Alaska or if you're in Arizona. If you're in Ohio or whether you're in Oklahoma, the rules should be the same for everybody. States' rights do not mean that states can create unjust ballot uh, conditions and voting conditions and mail-in voting, universal uh, mail-in votes being or ballots being sent to everybody, including the living, the dead, the human, the canine, the feline, uh, and so on and so forth. No, I do not believe states should have the right to corrupt their own voting processes. I do not. Here, brother. Okay, I know. I know. I know, Todd. I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm <laughs> killing the messenger here. You're the messenger, and I'm thank you for the call, Todd. I appreciate it. He's not the only one, by the way, that is saying that. Somebody else, I don't remember where, said something about December seventh uh, as well. That just cannot be. George Soros, Andrew Yang is a multimillionaire himself. All of these far left millionaires are going to use their money to buy temporary one-month leases on apartments or just find Georgia homeowners willing to rent, quote, a room to somebody 
and draw up a lease and say, yep, he lives here at this address now. And now you've got your lease and you can vote in this election. They are going to rob the United States Senate of Republican control, or rather rob Republicans of control of the United States Senate with that nonsense. We'll see you tomorrow.